Hey guys, this episode was supposed to be launched on Wednesday for International Women's Day, but there's some audio issues and some technical issues that it didn't work out how I wanted to, but I decided to release it anyways. I hope you enjoyed the show and we're coming with some changes. We've been doing changes since last year, but we're coming with more changes now. And let us know if you like it at blackinthemaritimes at gmail.com and give us your feedback. International Women's Day comes as a journey for women to have rights all over the world. It's actually called International Women's Rights Day, but they showed it out to International Women's Day. Today, we are going to explore black women in Canada to be specifically and their efforts to make us a better country and better people. Let's start the show. What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel. As we celebrate International Women's Day, we wanted to pay homage to Canadian women, especially Canadian black women that made the path for us. Now, we have done this before in Black History Month. We have done with some people like Biola, Desmond, uh, Jean Augustine, and others. But today we're going to focus on a couple of people that you may not know or you may know, but maybe didn't pay much attention to because they're in different in different realms uh, like hockey, journalists and things like that. But before we head to those people, uh, I want to get a late tribute to Jean Augustine, just because Jean Augustine celebrated Black History Month. She was the person that kind of made Black History Month a thing in Canada. So we cannot let her go without the homage that we are supposed we want to give people flowers while they're alive i did interview her for cbc radio uh around two years ago if i'm not mistaken uh but definitely somebody that i admire a lot so we are going to hear the words of herself uh miss jean agustin almost 30 years have passed since this country dedicated february to accomplishments and achievements of black canadians tonight ctv's andrea case profiles the woman who spearheaded that effort as she blazed a trail for justice and equality in canada and around the world jean augustine has spent her life in education social activism and working for the community so when the ontario black history society wanted Black History Month to be recognized, it fell to Augustine, the new Liberal MP from Etobicoke Lakeshore, to make it happen. The motion, as you see it, is stripped right down to, we are here, we have been making our contribution, we are a diverse um, group of African-Canadians, and we are asking to designate February. And so there was nothing to debate. In 1993, Augustine was the first black woman to be elected as an MP. As she fought to have the Black History Month recognized, not everyone in the House was behind the motion. So you want February. Who's going to come for March? <laughs> when are we going to have White History Month, Augustine? <laughs> what was you your know? response to that? Well, I, I thought every day was White History Month. And, uh, and then you laugh, so you take the sting away from what was being thrown at you. Augustine, who has a master's degree in education from the University of Toronto, has been bestowed with seven honorary degrees. I had taught social studies, and I never taught anything about African Canadians. Neither did I teach anything about Indigenous peoples. 
I never taught treaties and land claims and residential schools. To get all the members of the House to sign on took some work. If it was today, I would put it on social media. I had to talk to them one by one by one. Eventually, the time came to vote. It was December 1995. If one no then the whole thing caves. I was all pumped, I was all ready, and I knew we had the support. The House has heard the terms of the motion. Is it the pleasure of the House to adopt the motion? Agreed? Agreed. And so ordered. By the next year, from coast to coast to coast, people began to recognize the milestone, and corporations followed. It was an exciting day. Andrea Case, CTV News. Again, my respect to the Honorable Miss Jean Augustine. I think she's a trailblazer. She is one of the people that will always be talking Canadian history. And she says that Black Canadian history is not just for Black History Month. It's Canadian history, period. But she made sure that we celebrate Black History Month, which was this February. And again, you know, you got to get people their flowers while they're still alive. I think uh, she did something major here. And we have to honor it every time, even if we have honored it in previous episodes. Now, we're going to go to a person that she has talked a lot if you follow this podcast and follow other media sites, but not really. I mean, she is a person that actually made history by being the first black publisher in Canada, first black female publisher in Canada, which is Mary Shad. Carrie, Marianne Shad Carrie. Uh, again, she was a woman that grew up in the United States, moved to Canada, and then she supported uh, slaves in the Underground Railroad. She was the first person to become a publisher. She did a newspaper, and she devoted her life to teaching as well and mentoring children from former slaves who arrived up north. Uh, she later on moved to the United States and started doing her work there as well. So definitely it's a good story. So I'm going to put this cut that I found uh, from the Canadian History Podcast, which is you should check it out. And also we're going to talk, uh, we're going to hear the words from uh, Marianne Shad's great, great aunt. And she will kind of tell her story as well. So let's hear it. Marianne Shad was born on October 9, 1823 in Delaware to two free African-Americans. Her home was often a refuge for fugitive slaves. In 1850, the family moved to Canada West and settled near what is now North Buxton, Ontario. Her father, Abraham, became one of the first black Canadians to serve in politics when he was elected as a councillor for the town. In Canada, Shad began to work to create free black settlements. She founded a racially segregated school in Windsor, providing education to black students. In 1853, she founded the Provincial Freeman, which published weekly and advocated against slavery. She traveled throughout Canada and the United States to increase subscriptions to the paper and to solicit aid to runaway slaves. In 1855 and 1856, she traveled as an anti-slavery speaker, advocating for full racial integration. She returned to the United States in 1860, where she was a recruiting officer for the Union Army during the Civil War. After the war, she taught at black schools and, in 1883, at the age of 60, earned a law degree. She died of stomach cancer on June 5, 1893. Now, this is a cut from the Toronto Star, and this is Marianne Shad's great-great-niece. So she talks about the history while she's at the church that was the school that Marianne Shad uh, taught children of slaves. 
The building we're sitting in is the 1861 school and this was the third school that was built in the settlement and probably one of the only schools that's remaining in Canada that was built by that first generation removed from slavery that's still existing as a school. There were grades 1 to 10 that were taught here and then 1 to 9 and then 1 to 8. So there were 100 students in this one room with one teacher at one time and so the, the Buxton schools did produce some uh, wonderful people throughout history. Anderson Abbott was the first black Canadian doctor. He was educated here in Buxton, then eventually was a soldier in the Civil War, uh, but one of, was one of the founders of the Freedmen's Hospital, which is now Howard University. The first black teacher here was the first black congressman in the state of Alabama and editors of race relation newspapers that were educated in Buxton but went back to the United States. So education was very, very important. And the road out front which runs through the settlement, it was named after Abraham Dora Shad, who was Marianne Shad Carey's dad. Uh, Abraham Dora Shad, he was very involved in the Underground Railroad movement. Uh, he was president of the National um, Colored Convention in Philadelphia prior to moving up here to Canada West. And he was also president of the Colored Conventions here in Canada. Uh, but he was also one of Canada's first five black men elected to any political office in Canada. Uh, he was our local township reeve uh, in 1858 and he was eventually put on a stamp to commemorate that. So Marianne, who was his eldest of 13 children, uh, was a very strong-willed visionary, if you will. She was you know, the first black woman not only woman, but the first black woman to own and operate a newspaper, uh, you know, in North America, the Provincial Freeman. And Frederick Douglass was one of the first people who really took note of Marianne, and she started writing articles in his newspaper, The North Star. But the fact that she went to Howard University, um, and Howard was an all-black male university at one time, but they wouldn't allow her to write her law degree until she was in her 60s, got her degree and sued the university for sex discrimination. And number one, you go girl. Um, that is just, you know, when you stop and think of back in the 1860s and here she is, you know, writing a degree and still uh, going strong. She was encouraged by Martin Delaney to recruit in the Civil War, number one. It's very unusual for female recruiters. And uh, Martin Delaney, you know, thought so highly of her that he encouraged her. So she was a recruiter in the state of Indiana. Well, I guess one of the most admirable things to me, she organized a group of women and it was called the Colored Women's Progressive Franchise Organization that enabled black women to invest their money and buy stocks and bonds so they would not become financially dependent on men. And to me, you know, that was just amazing to have the foresight and the fortitude to do something like that, um, to prepare women um, for what might happen. You know, you need to get set in case something happens to your husband, but you need to be able to stand on your own two feet. To me, she was one of those very unique people and very intriguing. Um, you know, she was frank and she was determined. She was tenacious and she was viewed then as someone to be reckoned with, I think. And if she was uh, a man, she probably would have been fighting in Harper's Ferry with, um, with John Brown because she had that, that kind of 
um, determination. I sometimes compare her to Angela Davis. She was the Angela D Davis in the 1800s. She left her mark, and I think, you know, Angela and others picked up where she had left off. She happens to be my great-great-great-aunt, actually. My husband tells me occasionally that I have some of those <laughs> those shad traits that come through sometimes. <laughs> and I think it's because she was very strong-willed and he, he reminds me, yep, there's that, there's that Marianne. Yeah, yeah, and I can see some of those traits in our daughters as well. Um, it's a strong gene, but it's not a bad gene, you know, especially during these, during what's happening today. It's not a, not a bad gene at all. <laughs> this Canadian woman, if you are a hockey fan, you know about her. I'm not a hockey fan. I try to, but I can't follow the puck. Uh, it's something that I've not been able to do. Uh, but if you're an avid hockey fan, you will know the name Angela James. Angela James is the first black woman to be inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame. She's also the, the first black gay woman to be inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, they call her the Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey. Now, if you don't know who Wayne Gretzky is, again, uh, I mean, this is a Canadian podcast, so Wayne Gretzky would be the Michael Jordan, if you don't know basketball, of hockey. And she was a prolific hockey player. Uh, she was in the national women's hockey team. She played in the Olympics. She played a major world hockey tournaments. And again, she's the first black woman to be inducted in the hockey Hall of Fame. And again, her history is very, very interesting. She grew up in a poor neighborhood in Toronto, and she played hockey as a kid in the six, 70s and 80s, and definitely was a very hard and tough life, but she made it true. So we're going to hear the words from herself, and we're also going to hear the words of a girl in YouTube that I gonna get her name after the cut but it was a really good uh really good uh story that she made so i took this cut from her definitely think it's quite interesting how she explained them then we'll hear it from angela james herself angela james was born on december 22nd 1964 in toronto ontario angela james was a pioneer and a dominant force in women's hockey during the 1980s and 1990s in fact she was often referred to as the wayne gretzky of women's hockey james grew up in a single parent home in relative poverty in the flemington park neighborhood of toronto her mother donna barato made many sacrifices so that james could play hockey at age eight, she joined a boys' house league after her mom threatened legal action against league officials who were reluctant to let her play. Angela quickly became the league's top scorer, but in her second year, a new league policy was passed, which restricted membership to boys only, forcing James to play in one of the few girls' leagues that existed at the time. As a child of mixed-race parentage, James suffered insults and racial discrimination while growing up. However, she would overcome poverty, racial taunts, and gender discrimination to become the first superstar of modern women's hockey. At Seneca College in Toronto, she led her team to several college championships and was the leading scorer in the league for three consecutive seasons, scoring 50 goals while playing defense in the 1984-1985 season. 
Angela led the Canadian women's hockey team to four championships, 1990, 1992, 1994, and 1997. She was also one of the first three women to be inducted into the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame. Angela remained heavily involved in the sport since her retirement from competitive hockey in 2000. She has coached many female hockey teams from Adam to senior levels. James established the Breakaway Adult Hockey School and was the director of Seneca College's Women's Hockey School before becoming the senior sports coordinator. When Angela was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto in 2010, she was one of the first two women, the first openly gay player, and the second black athlete to ever be inducted. In 2016, she was awarded an African-Canadian Achievement Award for Excellence in Sport for her role as a trailblazer for women of color in hockey. Now, this is an interview that was made for the team, the Toronto Six, which she coaches or used to coach. I'm not 100% sure. And this is the word for the woman herself. I guess my journey uh, started way back in the 1970s. When I was a young kid growing up in Toronto, Ontario, Fleming Park, I uh, basically started in the streets playing ball hockey with uh, my friends. I didn't really think that, you know, girls couldn't play hockey, and uh, my, all of my friends growing up were boys. I played from morning to night uh, hockey. We had a garage where there was a tiny little hole in the wall. And that's where I practiced uh, my target shooting for many, many years. One of my neighbors had a, a pair of hockey skates and in the top of the toe, there was metal pieces that were sticking down. That's why he gave them to me, but it didn't really matter. I put my foot in those skates and I just thought I was the best in the world. When I was a kid, half the equipment that I had was uh, big world and, and mostly stolen. Growing up in that neighborhood, you had to be good no matter what because uh, not just hockey, you had to hold your own, but life, you had to hold your own. Sometimes you would have to fit, have a fist fight just to get to school. It obviously shaped me who I am today. You know, I don't think I would change anything. In 1990, um, I played with the, the fuchsia pink uniforms and spray painted hockey sticks out for logos, and, which got all over everything. So, but you know what, we didn't care because the game for us was about showing the world how women can play hockey. In 1990, uh, you know, that was just the start of putting women's hockey on a platform, on a, on a stage. When I got the uh, call for the hall, all of a sudden the phone rang. And he said, we just want to congratulate you on getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I was just, my heart was pounding. I really didn't know what to say. And then the last thing they said, you can't say anything to anybody. It hasn't been announced yet. And so right away I called my mom, right? And uh, I said, mom, you can't tell anybody. And next thing you know, I had all these calls. So <laughs> my mom was telling everybody anyway. <laughs> you know, I didn't know at that exact moment how my responsibilities in life um, would change. And it, whew, it was, it was just a crazy, crazy time because I was one of the first, along with Cami Granado, to be inducted. Now, the last person that we're going to talk about, she is not 
talked about enough and she is from nova scotia and if you know this podcast this podcast is called black in the maritimes and we have to honor these black women that are from the maritimes nova scotia pei new brunswick and newfoundland uh this woman doesn't get talked a lot we all know about biola desmond she's in our ten dollar bill but there is a fearless civil rights activist called carrie bess that she was a notable journalist born in 1903 and she was the founder of the clarion which was the first newspaper in nova scotia which was owned and operated by black canadians in 1946 again this woman uh talked about racism whether it was on radio whether it was by her articles and it was a very very fearless reporter uh you will hear about her uh, in an interview that they made in cbc in 1991 and it's incredible how this woman uh talks about racism and the fight that she had to struggle and how things are you know they haven't changed but they have evolved and her trajectory of how to do it so uh, again there's not a whole lot that i could say i will let you uh the woman herself talk about it and it's definitely very very profounding so i hope you enjoy this nobody jim in nova scotia or in canada or in the world has the power to rob me of my personal dignity whether it's my next door neighbor or whether it's the premier of nova scotia carrie best grew up in new glasgow she's been kicked out of public places she's been arrested and she's fought back every time how old are you now carrie best 88 and a half and have you as i have heard spent your lifetime fighting racism in nova scotia you could say that, yeah. Uh, racism began with me, I would say, at birth. But I fought on my own terms and with my own weapons. And then I would not allow my hatred of racism, and I hated with a vengeance. I would never let that prevent me from doing anything I could to help anyone. Well, I had been going to the Roseland Theater for years. I, my son and I would, uh, in those days, that's about the only entertainment that you had. And I would pick him up at school, and we would go, and I'd sit in that same seat for years. And one day, the usher just walked in and said to me, you can't sit here anymore, you've got to go upstairs, all the black people have to sit upstairs. And I was shocked, of course, and of course I refused. And uh, they held the show up for about a half an hour while they went to get the policemen, and they literally dragged my son and I out of the theater. I don't think it will change one bit if they put... 20 black men on the police force. I don't think it will change one iota. I think, it, I think it will complicate matters because it will be similar to South Africa where you're pitting black against black violence and it will be even fiercer than, than, than a white policeman because these men are being forced for a paycheck to battle their own race and maybe in their hearts their heart is not there at all, but they will have to do it. I was a member of the task force on the status of women, and by no stretch of your imagination did I represent 30,000 black, 30, black people, but people thought I was. Yeah. Well, they're satisfied there's one, there's one black face on that, and that's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a token if that token is a person of quality. Who can produce something. Who can produce something. You have to, you, you get your foot in, in the door, and after that, 
you open the door for others and you don't try to close the door once you're in and to feel that you're something special because you are not. You mean Carrie, best winner of no, uh, a uh, member of the Order of Canada, a holder of an honorary degree from St. Evacs? Dr. Carrie Best is followed around yeah, in, yes, in Yes, Dr. Store. Carrie Best certainly is, and, and uh, Dr. Carrie Best has made it quite known to the one who followed me and to the manager that I don't appreciate that. Yes, I've gone in stores, and I'm scarcely in the door to look for something. Maybe I'm looking for a sweater, and the, the, the clerk will leave probably ten people waiting and come and say, it's so polite. It's, they're so polite, they're sickening. Uh, can I help you? And that's when, that's the only time that I forget that I am Dr. Carrie Best and I tell her quite frankly no she can't help me that I'm I came in to make a purchase when I see what I want I will let her know and as for paying for it she can have it any way she wants it cash charge X master charge or the gold card 20 years ago in Sydney a student who was hired for summer told me at one of the affirmative action programs that the boss said, now you watch those niggers when they come in here because they all, they all steal. That was in Sydney 20 years ago. Someone who works in a hotel in Halifax told me that she once worked as a clerk, and the manager told her, you watch those niggers when they come in because they're all thieves. God, you use that word, and it just, it just it makes me... It is really awful, and... Uh, it is, it's, not, it's not my imagination, no. although I'm, I'm looking for it and I'm ready for it. Believe me, I'm ready for it. But it's, it, should, it, it shouldn't exist. Nobody, Jim, in Nova Scotia or in Canada or in the world has the power to rob me of my personal dignity, whether it's my next-door neighbor or whether it's the premier of Nova Scotia. I am not a nigger. And those who have called me have learned... I mean exactly what I say. I am a person born in the image of God. I have intelligence. I am honest. I am honorable. And I am as good, if not better, than anybody that walks the face of this earth. And when we as a black race of people teach our children that and to live by that rule, I think the ignorant whites will learn the lesson. Certainly those that I have contacted with over the last few years have learned their lesson. I'm very pleased to meet you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Honestly, there's not a better way to end this episode uh, with that interview. I think it was a very profound. And I think we're going to do an episode about her, uh, just just an episode about her. I think it's uh, it's very interesting, her lifelong career and her words and her activism and again there's a lot of heroes right here in atlantic canada that we don't know and we try to do that on this podcast we try to bring you people that you may not know that they're from this area and just because the color of their skin they get you know they don't get recognized or they just don't get the you know the attention that they deserve like dr carrie bess i think is somebody that should get more attention but she doesn't uh, but again, I do have to say thank you for everybody that's listening. Thank you for everybody that's been following us on social media. Uh, we opened a TikTok account not too long ago, and we already are 40,000 followers, which is incredible. Uh, thank you for everybody that's following us. And if you haven't followed us, follow us now on TikTok, uh, Black in the Maritimes. Also, Instagram, that we've been getting a lot of love there, at Black in the Maritimes. Facebook as well. And also thank God for everybody that's donated in Patreon and PayPal. We appreciate it. It's been a great help. So yeah, keep doing that. I we, we, we appreciate the love. So 
Talk to you next time. Peace.